This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. And welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm Corey Wright. And I'm your other sometimes host, Matt Scalina. Matt, I am thrilled for the guest today. I have been looking so forward to this episode. He's one of your favorites. One of? Maybe the favorite. Could be the favorite. (laughs) I'll be honest with you. He might even be the most knowledgeable guest this show has ever had. And think about the guests we've had. Heads of banks. Mayors. Every mayor in in (laughs) British Columbia. Everybody. And yet this guy... Could be the most intelligent guest we've had ever. Let me tell you a story about this guy. Yeah. He was on the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast and he was so inspiring. We started the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. He, he was thrilled when he got the call. He was absolutely thrilled. I think you have to tell everybody who it is. Without further ado, this week's guest is Corey Wright from, from <laughs> Vancouver. This podcast is presented by Impact Commercial. Impact Commercial, John, Allen, the team over there are fantastic. They've been, all been on the show. They have, yeah. Friends of the show. Great guys. Wealth of experience. They can help with all your commercial financing needs. Whether it's owner-occupiers, land development funds, commercial investments, or multifamily, these guys got you covered. And they recently obtained their CMHC correspondent lender status. So for all your commercial lending needs, visit them at impactcommercial.ca. That's Impact Commercial. Well, it makes a lot of sense, Corey, that you're coming on the show and and talking because A, you're genuinely one of the most knowledgeable guys in the commercial real estate space. And B, we're mid-July. Yeah. We finally got a sunny couple days here. Yeah. The market feels like everybody's at the beach. Yeah. And the Bank of Canada just dropped a 1% interest rate increase. I feel like it's just time for a check-in. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, we'll maybe, you know, break down why we're doing the show we are today. So first off, I was completely kidding about the intelligence level. I get off the mic talking to some of our guests and think, why would they talk to us? Like These guys are so intelligent. We're so lucky that they take the time to talk with us. But why we wanted to do today. So today is, what's today? Today is Wednesday, July 14th. Right. The Bank of Canada came out with a hundred basis point rate increase, which I think caught a lot of people off guard. I know it caught me off guard this morning. I was thinking- Ruined my morning. Yeah, 750 basis points. I wasn't thinking anything of it. Out of nowhere, I got a text says, what the just happened? Did you see this? And I looked at it when I was driving. I almost went into a ditch, I thought. I was like, (laughs) am I reading this right? Immediately, I read the article. That came on the back of me listening to a podcast from CNBC on the way in talking about, you know, 9.1% inflation rate in June in the States. Right. I had that I was dealing with. I got this text. I was like, wait a minute. I immediately got on the phone with several people in the banking industry this morning to figure out why and what's next. So we wanted to have the episode today 
to circle around the rate increase, talk about how does that affect loan to value, which we'll dig into, but just to give people an overall perspective, because right now there's probably a lot of like doom and gloom on both sides of the real estate market. Right. But we want to break down what this means, potentially how does it affect everything and give the listeners a little bit more understanding of what, how this plays itself out over the next three, six, nine months. Maybe that's a great place to start. What does this mean for the commercial real estate market? I think both sides of the real estate market, obviously we'd be kidding ourselves if we didn't think interest rates would have some form of effect, maybe in a negative way, just because the cost of debt becomes that much more. And I think we're coming off the heels of, I believe the cheapest interest rates in history. So everything's going to seem more expensive. But if you go back pre-pandemic, a lot of commercial lending rates were probably between like the low mid fours, maybe to the high fours, early fives. That was pre-pandemic rates. We came down during the pandemic to record-setting lows where you were hearing stories of guys getting interest rates of like two and a half, two point seven five on commercial, which was just unheard of. Right. Coming out of that, I don't think anyone expected the interest rates to spike at the rate they have, almost like a hockey stick. And on the peels of today's news of a hundred basis point increase, I think caught a lot of people off guard. I think the expectation was seven hundred or seventy-five basis points, which is three quarters of a percent. That was probably kind of somewhat priced in. The one percent, I don't believe, was. So I think there's going to be a shock factor that's going to follow this, and I think it will have dramatic effect on pricing, both on the residential and the commercial. Now, the difference in commercial is a lot of people who don't have to sell probably aren't going to consider selling right now with the assumption that pricing may come off a bit. And we've seen pricing come off in the development land sales and the multifamily side of things, mainly because those are the two hardest asset classes to debt service, which we'll talk about taking more down payment to make work that ties directly into your loan to value. So we haven't seen a catastrophic market by any stretch. and I don't think we'll ever get there. I just think things will be a little bit slower. And maybe sellers' expectations on pricing six months ago might be tough to meet six months moving forward just because the cost of debt is that much more. Right. So one of, a couple questions there. One is for the commercial regular loan interest rate yep. pre-pandemic. Yeah. Those rates you said five and a quarter. Yeah, you were seeing mid fours to probably mid fives. And, and where are we at now? Because because commercial real estate, generally the interest rates are higher than the yeah, residential side. Typically you'll see like one to one and a half percent higher. Now, again, if you collateralize those, you put you know personal guarantees up versus non-recourse loans. Like oh, there's a lot of things that can sort of tie into what those rates look like on it. But I think right now from talking to a lot of people is you're hovering in that five and a half, five, seven, five, six range now. Right dealing with your Schedule 1 banks, your credit unions, the private market that was probably 7 to 8 before, those guys are probably closer to 9 to 10 right now. So it's not far off pre-pandemic, but I guess the difference here clearly is how quickly they've risen exactly. is, is kind of the shock factor and yeah. what this actually means moving forward, right? Because I think, you know, just thinking about your point about everybody was expecting 0.75. Yeah. This is one. Now, somebody out there is going, okay, that's a quarter point. Like, yeah. What does a quarter point actually mean? And I think it's more of the signal being sent there that exactly. they're super hawkish and they're and the Bank of Canada is ready to go to to kill inflation no matter no matter what they have to do. Yeah, which is and, scary. And although rates, you mean they're they're higher most likely now than we saw pre pandemic. I think it's the expectation of where they're going right. versus if we were always at 
a four and a half and they went to four seven five, I don't think there's a lot of concern. But I think it's the how quickly they have come up, how fast the rate they've come up, and also maybe potentially where they're going that creates a lot of concern out there. Where I think people that don't have to sell probably won't look to sell. I think banks are going to pretty much tighten up things internally, de-risk all loans. And I've heard rumors, and these are only rumors, that some of the Schedule One banks are stress testing commercial mortgages in-house. Granted, they're not governed by stress tests like they are in residential. Stress testing them in-house at nine to nine and a half percent. Wow. And that's total precautionary. Right. But they don't want to be putting out any money to have some guy sign up for a six and then his variable ends up at seven and he's not making payments. So the banks will always, always err on the side of caution to see how things work. So I think there's a lot of that in there and there's a lot of pens down right now on the lending side of things because they just don't know. And that's very similar to what we saw at the start of COVID. Banks were a lot of pens down because they just didn't know. And it wasn't a matter that they're scared of the world's collapsing. It's like, hey, we're just a little bit uncharted right now. So let's just see how things play out before we get back in. And we saw what happened in COVID. Banks were pens down. Interest rates got slashed. Banks were giving away money to anyone who had two legs and a heartbeat. Right. That seems like that's flipped, obviously, which is understandable. Thinking about pens down, is this across all commercial asset classes or are they, the banks, the lenders more tentative to lend on certain asset classes right now or is it right across the board? Well, I think you're going to find that when we talk about a property's ability to debt service. Now, when we look at an investment property, that ties directly into your cap rate or your capitalization rate. So from, a, from our listener's perspective, if a property has a 5% cap rate, that means it's a 5% return on your investment. If I invest a million dollars, my NOI or my net operating income before debt servicing should be 50000 The lower that cap rate gets, the less money I have as a, as a borrower to actually pay back my bank. Right. So if it's a 3% cap on a million bucks, I only have $30,000 to make the payments versus if it's 5% on a million bucks, I have $50,000 to make the payments. So the loan to values are going to change dramatically. And what banks do and how they will sort of take and they'll look at stuff. If I have a scenario where I have a 5% cap rate on a million dollars, the bank is going to take that cap rate and they're going to look at it compared to the market value and they're going to apply a debt servicing ratio to that. So what a debt servicing ratio is, is the spread between what's being collected and what the bank's willing to lend. So hypothetically, if I have $10,000 a month coming in rent, and it's a 1.25% debt servicing ratio, the bank will give me credit for 7,500 of the $10,000 coming in to pay off my loan. On top of that, they're going to throw a vacancy rate in there now. Maybe there's a 5 to 7% vacancy rate. So of that 7,500, now I'm getting credit for 7,200 of it. The more the bank will squish my mortgage into a $7,200 payment per month, interest and principal. The bigger the interest gets, the less the principal payments are. Well, the less the principal payments are for me to meet that $7,200 target, I have to put more money down. So that ties directly into your loan to value, where if you hear things of 65% loan to value, it means the bank will give me 65% of the money I need on my $10 million purchase. The rest is my down payment plus closing costs. So in that scenario, 65 minus 100 is a 35% down payment. So in the residential world, you can potentially buy a home for 5%, yep. you know, as long as, as you, you get it insured. 
And if it's over a million dollars, it's 20%, right? Yeah. As long as you qualify. If I understand correctly here, interest rates are changing how much people have to put down if they're buying commercial real estate. Correct. And the difference is a lot of times, like when Matt Scalina buys a property for a personal use, the bank says, how much does Matt Scalina make? Who is Matt Scalina? Right. In commercial, they still care who Matt Scalina is, but they're like, how many tenants do you have? How long are those tenancies? How strong are those tenancies? How much do those tenants pay? So there's a lot more onus put on the money coming into the property versus the individual, say, buying it. Although they, although you do have to go through all the protocols as an investor, but Matt Scalina buying a building with Shoppers Drug Mart paying market rents for 10 years is probably going to get a lot more credit from the bank than Matt Scalina buying a vacant property that used to have Corey's Bagels that hasn't been tenanted for two years. Right. So right. a lot of that goes into it. So as interest rates rise, my lease rates haven't changed. If my tenant's paying me 40 bucks, they're paying me 40 bucks a foot, whether I'm paying no interest, all cash, or 10% interest. The interest rate doesn't necessarily determine fair market value for that retail space. So as my cost, my acquisition cost goes up and my interest goes up, that rent hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. So to make the numbers work, I need to put more down, which gives me a smaller loan to value. So here's one thing we can expect yeah. in, in a higher interest rate environment, as I understand it, yeah. is people are going to have to come up with larger down payments. You got and it. And the loan to value that at a 3% interest rate might have been 75. 75 is now moving to 65. So the difference there, so if we're buying a property with a 75% loan to value, I mean, you're putting down 25% now because interest rates are higher. Keep in mind, the tenant's rent hasn't changed. So our monthly income on that building is no different. To make the numbers work, the bank says, okay, it's 65% down now. Or 65%, sorry, loan to value, which means we have to do a 35% down payment. Well, if we're buying something for a million dollars, we've now got to put down an extra 10% or $100,000 because of the higher interest rate to make the numbers work for the bank. Right. And in your experience with brokerages across the province, how does this play out? Does this, does this impact the people buying real estate? Like actually, does it take a considerable portion of the, the buyers out of the market because they can't participate? Or does this spook people? Like what, what, how does this play out? All the above. So typically when people are looking to buy stuff on an investment property, they, let's say they have collectively me and you come up with some money. It's probably a bad analogy. Me and you got six bucks. Let's say we get Adam involved. He owns property in Kelowna. So we got a million now. Adam's involved. So we got a million dollars of their down payment. Right. That million dollars doesn't change. So if it costs more money to buy something or less money to buy something, our down payment hasn't changed. And the higher the interest rates go, the more of that money we're going to have to put down to acquire that same property. So in commercial lending, as in most investing, leverage is the trick to real estate. So what tends to happen is sometimes, I mean, if me and you have a hundred grand and we're buying something for 400,000, interest rates go up. We now still have a hundred grand. Now we're not buying something for 400,000. Now we're buying something for 300,000. Right. Our money doesn't go as far. So what tends to happen is the smaller price brackets get busier or you get people where they're kind of just like, I don't really know just yet. I'm going to sit on the sidelines for you know a couple of weeks. Let's see how it plays out. And traditionally what has happened, and again, we're obviously dealing with a little bit more of a unique situation coming out of a pandemic and inflation challenges. Traditionally what's happened is there's a, Sticker shock. People realize the world's not over. Eh, let's go buy something again. And in BC, 
we're well positioned because in the middle of the pandemic, you had 10 offers. Then interest rates rose. Then you had seven offers. Interest rates rose again. Then you had five offers. Speculation hits the market. Now you have two offers. Well, in every one of those scenarios, there's more offers than land available. Right. So BC is probably one of the best areas probably in the world in the middle of a real estate slowdown. So I want to circle back here to to asset classes because point taken, BC, we're well positioned to weather a slowdown as compared to other markets. Where do you see the strength right now? And where do you see the strength moving forward? And where do you see the the real softening, the weakness in the, sure. in the commercial real estate sure. market? So if we go asset class to asset class, you know, industrial still has bucked the trend. I mean, demand for that product continues to outweigh supply by a landslide. I still think you're going to have no challenges in that particular asset class. Yes, things might take longer. There might have to be a price reduction or two just because prices got so high. But I think you'll find that asset class will lead us out of this. I think retail has obviously took the brunt of the challenges during the pandemic. I think retail is, my opinion, is your best opportunity only because they took the hardest hit in most of the pandemic stuff. That now with the office market, that obviously got hit hard, but the you know tenants stayed, tech backfilled them. So the, 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 there wasn't the blood in the water that people thought for the office market. It kind of healed itself and is still healing itself. But retail got hit hard. And now you're seeing a lot of more bounce back in that where you might be able to pick up a good retail asset at a cheaper price now than maybe you would have got pre-pandemic that's trending upwards. So I'm not saying the retail sector is invisible. I'm not saying that there's not going to be challenges with it. I just think you might have a greater path to recovery based on what you're paying today, maybe versus industrial, which is just steady Eddie here, but you're paying a little bit more for that security in the industrial market versus if you're willing to take a little bit more risk or you've got a little bit more capital to play with. Retail, you might actually find some pretty good opportunities. Where, where would you be looking in retail? Well, I, you know, there's no secret. We definitely like the Vancouver Island and the BC interior markets, mainly because the cap rates were a lot easier to work with and they were both in growing markets. I think recently I read a report. I could have this backwards. Either Kelowna was number one, Victoria two or Victoria one, Kelowna two of the best smaller cities, secondary cities in the world to live in. So I think there's a lot of good opportunities in there. I think you've got to find stuff on the outskirts of where it's all happening versus if I'm going to buy on Robson Street, I'm going to pay a premium for that. Right. If I would have bought on the Main Street Corridor five, six, seven years ago, I would look like the smartest guy in the room today. So I think you've got to buy on the fringe where everything is happening. And in Victoria, that would be like the Harris Green District, which we're big fans of. That I think is going to be your Yale town when it's all built out. Now that's probably five or 10 years away from really sort of reaching those, that true pinnacle, but you're already seeing it now. There's cranes everywhere. There's building happening everywhere and getting into that market early on is going to do really, really well. And you know, I mean, we were a big component of that district, you know, early pandemic days, even before the pandemic. And you were probably seeing retail deals probably in the 450 range to 500 a foot. There was a recent sale during like not too long ago at 850 a foot. That's 24 months later, right? So you're talking, you know, there's 60% increase on that value and growing. So I think you got to get into the markets that are emerging and that have a higher than average population growth. So in thinking about the lower mainland, the residential story, of course, is 
that usually or usually historically i should say you know downtown is the center of the pond you drop the rock and it yeah. kind of ripples out covid turned that on its head but now we're seeing the valley as i understand it i, I we don't operate out there, but basically the tap is totally turned off out there. Whereas Vancouver is still kind of yeah. seeing sales. Where are the opportunities if specifically yeah. in the retail market right now in the lower mainland? Well, during COVID, if you take that same scenario and you want to drop the rock in Vancouver and it ripples out in commercial, you almost had to drop the rock in the lower mainland because we almost got to the point of almost regional pricing. And by that, I mean, pre-pandemic, if someone said, what's the cap rate in Vancouver? You'd say three, three and a half. What's it in Chilliwack? Five, five and a half. What's it in Kelowna? Six, six and a half. I mean, this goes back five, six, seven years ago. Sure. In the middle of the pandemic and the height of the market, you were seeing deals done in Maple Ridge at three and a half cap rates. You were seeing deals in Vancouver done at three cap rates. You were seeing deals done in Chilliwack at 3.75. So it almost got, although Vancouver still got the premium pricing, there, there wasn't a big delta to go out to Chilliwack that you would have, that you would have seen during the pandemic that you would have saw five years earlier. Right. So the lower mainland almost to some degree became somewhat regionally priced from a cap rate perspective. And where you were going to get value on your money was Victoria, was Kelowna, right. Kamloops. And that's one reason why we were such a big component. One of my investing strategies is we always try to buy multi-tenanted type assets where no one tenant is greater than 15 or 20% of the total building. Now that changes when you get into good retail nodes because if someone's like, hey, do you want to buy the building with McDonald's in it? Well, that's a different story. But also trying to buy for cash flow. Because regardless to what that building is worth, regardless to a pandemic or a recession, those tenants or most of those tenants are still paying your rent. So if that building value goes from $5 million to $4 million in a recession, my rent is still $250,000 a year during the recession, assuming everyone pays, is still $250,000 a year. I can weather storms better versus the equity game where if I buy a, a, a strata retail unit in Yelltown at a three cap and a 10 is paying 80 bucks a foot, well, I have all the risk because what's that cap rate go down to 2.8? The 10's rent goes from 70 or 80 to 85. Doesn't really move the needle mm -hmm. versus if I can find stuff in a secondary market or tertiary market with growing populations and industries, location-based, at a five and a half cap rate, 4% interest rate, that's a 75% loan to value all day. So if I buy something in Vancouver for a million bucks on a 65 or 60% loan to value to make the numbers work, I'm putting down 350 or 400,000. I take that same scenario and I go out to Nanaimo and I find something at a five or a five and a half cap for a million bucks. I'm on 75% loan to value. I'm only putting down 250 mm -hmm. because I have stronger cash coming through the property to service more of my debt. The trade-off is, Things don't typically tick up as fast. In Vancouver, you'd find such stories where the tenant's paying 40 bucks and it comes up renewal, they're paying 65. In Nanaimo, the story is the tenant's paying 13 for three years and in year four, he's paying 14. Right. So there's not nearly the step-ups that are happening. In saying that, if you get into these markets early enough, you can get those much larger percentage changes versus the number changes that you'd see over here. Which is what we've seen in Victoria. Exactly. And when you look at even Nanaimo, where we have we have brokers doing deals over there where tenants are paying 14 bucks and they're renewing at 19 bucks or 18 bucks. And from a listener, you may be like, oh, 18 bucks, that's not bad. Well, look at that four bucks and look at that as a percentage on that 14 they were paying. Where now they're paying 16 bucks and they were paying 12. That's a 33% increase on their rent. Right. 
That's a big percentage gain. Although the numbers don't look a lot, it's a big percentage gain. And that's how you use them for, for, you know, refinances and equity takeouts. Mm -hmm. So getting into markets like that, I think as long as they still trend in the same direction from a population standpoint, that those are good markets that will be safer than potentially maybe buying something at like a three cap rate, which is going to take a lot more money out of pocket to that service it. And you have a lot of capital sitting in behind, you know, behind a wall essentially, which is your real estate that you can't access as much. I would always rather have, I'd rather use the bank's money and have a higher loan to value, less cash flow to then go buy a second property, copy and repeat. Mm-hmm. So 3% cap rate in Vancouver, the the idea of a regional kind of cap rate or a flattening out uh, yeah. across the lower mainland is a, is an interesting point because I think that kind of happened at least in condos, well, across the board in residential, but yeah. where Surrey, you know, pre-sales were 1150 a foot or whatever they were. Yeah. You're thinking, okay, this, this is pretty close to some areas of Vancouver pricing. It happened in residential as well. I'm just wondering, we've talked about on the show recently about cap rates rising as interest rates go up. What do cap rates do in Vancouver and the tertiary markets? Because presumably if a 3% made sense in Vancouver pre-pandemic, but it didn't make sense in Maple Ridge and now it's 3%, something's going something's gonna to give. So as the pricing continues, as interest rates continue to go up, pricing historically should come down. But if no inventory comes available and sellers typically have expectations of yesterday's prices, buyers think deals are happening like tomorrow, is things take a lot longer to sell or don't sell. And then they get revisited at a later date. So where I think opportunities could exist if they do exist, foreclosures, court-ordered sales, because whether <laughs> divorces don't stop, regardless to what the interest rates in the economy are doing. Right. Now, court-ordered sales aren't necessarily always divorces. They could be partnership breakups. They could be a whole bunch of things that go into it. Other situations that I think we'll find that there could be opportunities is getting into like a downtown Kelowna or a downtown Victoria, which probably saw cap rates you know, peak around four, four and a quarter. They might come back to like a five, five and a quarter that if you have the cash to buy those, to deal with the loan to value, ride it out, interest rates subside. These markets are still growing with population. That hasn't changed. Fast forward three or four years with probably higher rents, and now you have cap compression on it. You might be able to get stuff in some of these hub cities in a discount compared to what you would have got it during COVID or even pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think if those opportunities exist, you'll have institutional guys that will be lined up ready to go. The other opportunity that may exist is, is Bob's coming off his three-year or his two-year fixed at three and a half. He's got a 75% loan to value. His rent on the building hasn't changed. He calls BMO. He's all excited there. He's going to go in and sign his renewal papers. And BMO says, hey, we've, we've put out everything through the system here. We can't do the 75% loan to value, but we can, we can definitely do a 60% loan to value. So to make the numbers work, we just need you to write us a check for $100,000 to make the numbers work, and then we'll gladly refinance. And Bob might not have the hundred grand. So if Bob doesn't have the hundred grand, Bob might have to sell. Mm-hmm. So you might find guys in those situations. You also might find developers. And when we talk about developers, we'll maybe exclude some of the larger ones, but maybe some of the medium to smaller ones where they might be paying, you know, variables on their their land. Construction costs have seen a 25 to 30% increase in the first six months of this year. Yeah. There's land they might have bought that they might say, hey, I can't afford to build this right now because the costs are just too high. And I can't afford to keep this right now because my interest is too high. My payments are too high. So you might find guys that might relinquish 
any lifts on property just to try to get out of it and move on to their next one. Developers look at property more as like a merchant position. There's not really the emotional tie into it like you find in the housing market. So they might just say, hey, listen, like we don't, we're not going to make any money on this. Let's just not lose money. Let's get out of this one. Let's reposition the capital and find the next one. So you might find, you know, land might be a little bit cheaper on that standpoint. Again, excluding some of the bigger guys that have the financial ability to land bank, they'll, they'll buy property. They might be able to sit on it for three or four, five, 10 years. Some of the smaller guys can't. They don't have the, the financial wherewithal to do that. So they got to either build or sell. Mm-hmm. So, so you've highlighted a number of potential scenarios in which deals potentially emerge. I, I kind of want to just circle back to, to this regional cap rate because is this here to stay? Do you think this kind of perspective of, of a regional where there's not the differentiation in, in the submarkets, is that here to stay? And if not, is there actual areas of the lower mainland where it's like, hey, there, there, there could be some real shifts? Well, I think if there's going to be the further out you get, the more rural the area is where those shifts will take place. And let's just say Chilliwack, which I think is a phenomenal market. We're very bullish on Chilliwack as a company. If that market... As are a lot of developers yeah, it's, building residential you know, properties right you know, now. That market may tend to shift a little bit, maybe more so than say like a Coquitlam would. But in saying that, to your point, developers are very bullish. A lot of people in commercial are very bullish. Demand for that area might remain very high that it doesn't really come off. I think during the pandemic, we saw that, I mean, there's no more real estate to speak of. We're very, we have a lot of land constraints in a lot of the major markets that you want to be. Everything from, you know, everything from Surrey to Vancouver to Kelowna to Victoria, they're landlocked and there's water issues and transportation and mountains. So, I mean, there's no more real estate at the end of the day. And I've yet to run into someone, and maybe you have. I haven't met a guy or a girl that bought a property two years ago five years ago, seven years ago, 10 years ago, said, damn, I paid too much for that property. (laughs) I haven't met someone who said that. So I know even though these times are very challenging, no questions asked, we are still working with clients that are still continuing to try to acquire property. Mm -hmm. And if you look at it, as some of the wealthiest people in the world, they'll all tell you there is way more money to be made in a down market than there is in an up market. So you're going to find a lot of those institutional guys large companies, strongly financed families. A lot of those people are going to start to come to the forefront looking, you know, sharks in the water and they will move, move quick, probably get people out of some tricky situations. Fast forward five years, could be some of the better deals they've acquired. So Corey, you know, as an avid investor yourself and one of the brightest minds in, in Vancouver real estate, you were on the blower this morning talking to various people at the banks, talking about stress tests at nine, nine and a quarter, whatever the lenders are internally stress testing loans at right now, worried about rising interest rates. Are you looking for deals right now? Are you thinking, let's let's watch the second half of this year? Is the deal mid-2023? Is it tomorrow? Is it six months from now? What are your thoughts there? As an investor, broker hat off, investor hat on, I had I looked at five different properties this morning. So we are still actively out there looking for stuff. We are no different than anybody else. We're not exempt from high interest rates. We're not exempt from the loan to value scenarios. We're not exempt from any of that stuff. So we just have to always be very cautious in what we have, what we look at as a, as a group, uh, the buying group that we have. We have to be very cautious of it. But I don't think our strategy has changed. Like we've always tried to buy value. We've always tried to buy in growing markets and we've always tried to buy good locations. So, I mean, that hasn't changed. And the stuff that 
you know, the five properties that we saw today, we saw everything from stuff on Vancouver Island to BC Interior. We had a property in Coquillum that was brought to us. We had a, a sort of a joint venture opportunity, which really isn't our cup of tea that no matter how good it was, we probably wouldn't have done it in Abbotsford, but the numbers looked really good on it. But again, they just, they just, none of them sort of ticked the boxes. And I think if something does hit the boxes, that we will obviously look at it. We will take it through our channels of how we do all of our due diligence and our underwriting. And if the numbers check out with today's interest rates, I would say we'd be buyers. But the challenge you're going to have, I think, and we will see this moving forward if we already haven't seen it, is, well, my neighbor sold for $5 million six months ago. So, you I mean, property never goes down in this province. So I should get 5.2. Mm-hmm. And that's where your loan to values kick in where to acquire that same property, you're going to have to put down a lot more money, tie up a lot more capital with it, as well as I don't think banks are going to be looking at any risk tolerance right now. So the days of, oh, the rents are, you know, it's a four cap today, but when I renew everybody in two years, it's a six and the banks will buy that. The banks will lend on current income and that's probably the extent of it. So Mm. if a market is a traditional, say five cap rate market or a five and a half Nanaimo, and someone brings you a product at a four or four and a half cap rate that potentially could be a six in the coming years, the bank will look at that as a four and a half cap rate today. And that's all they're going to look at it. So you've got to be able to apply fair market cap rates to current incomes. And one thing we always try to do is we never want to pay for our own risk. So if you're trying to sell me on the building, the rents are going to double. Yeah, hypothetically, you could be right. But there's also, as a landlord, I don't want to pay for my risk and pay for that future value now they don't have. Because maybe the tenants don't stay. Maybe I maybe I have to, you know, they leave and I have to retenant it and I got cost to retenant it. I have vacancy issues. My roof could go. There's a whole bunch of stuff that could happen. So I don't want to pay for my risk. I want to, I want to buy the upside. Mm-hmm. If I'm successful in filling this building, I want the reward. I don't want to have to pay fair market value cap rate on future income and then work my butt off, take all the risk just to get what I feel is market today. So you never want to pay for your own risk. So it's just a matter of sifting through and we probably look through hundreds of properties over the course of a year and we probably acquire three to five give or take depending mm-hmm. on the groups that are involved and that would range from like two to three million probably up to five or six million dollars is kind of the comfort area but it's just a matter of of just making sure the numbers pencil and if they do i think us or anyone would be silly not to try to move forward if you have the financial resources to do it but be very cautious so keep calm and carry on keep calm carry on It'll be worth more in two years. Everyone will be okay. Maybe as a final question, Corey, Vancouver, in fact, I think North Van now has the highest rents on the residential. I was reading that, yeah. Yeah, the residential side of things. Highest rents in the country. But Vancouver has seen dramatic increases in the last four to six months in rents. Are we seeing the same thing in commercial rents? Is there any correlation? How does inflation impact rents on the commercial side? So on the service, the answer is yes. And why I say there's correlation, because if, if an area like North Vancouver is getting higher residential rents, it's because people want to be there. Right. And the more people that show up, the more foot traffic, the more jobs, need, all that stuff, and then commercial lags behind that. So if you look at, say, Yaletown, just as an example, where you might have higher residential rents because people want to be in there because there's all the shops and stores and restaurants and walkways, retailers want to be in the same area. So again, they will typically pay more on the retail side of thing to be in that same area than they would maybe say in Gastown in some parts. So on the surface, yes, there is correlation just because demand for the area, but there's not necessarily a, you can't tie any metrics together. You can't say, Hey, well, the 
residential rent went up a hundred bucks a foot or a hundred bucks a month for this unit, that is going to equal to a $2 and 42 cent increase on the retail. No. So it's all, it's just all supply and demand and everyone wants to kind of be in there. Um, Rates typically don't fluctuate a lot with inflation in commercial only because they're usually three, five, six, 10 year terms where there's not a lot of stuff that's going to really, uh, you know, change those numbers in saying that if we hit a roadblock of an economy and no one's spending any money, the retail tenants may not be able to pay the rent. So vacancy rates will will completely tie into that. So on the surface, unless you have a CPI component tied into your lease, which is consumer price index, your rents are fixed for whatever time period you negotiate, one, three, five, 10, 15. Vacancy will reflect the availability, the rents when places come available for landlords. And if there's like Yale town, let's say for example, and it's just rents are a hundred bucks a foot, no one can afford to pay. And there's not one vacant space. There's nine vacant spaces that will definitely have some effect on the lease rates in the immediate area. Fantastic. Well, we, we really appreciate your time today, Corey. We do have this segment called the six pack. This is uh, six lighthearted questions to get to know you outside the office. I think you've done this before, but a lot has changed except your favorite band. Do you have time to stick around for this? Normally no, but for you, yes. The six-pack is powered by our good friends over at Red Point Law. Red Point Law, Corey, Tim, Falco, Scott, and the team. These are great people with a wealth of experience when it comes to commercial closings and private lending. And I just want to say, Corey, not to cut you off, they have a perfect five-star review on Google. So for all your commercial legal needs, visit them at redpointlaw.ca with offices in Vancouver and now open in downtown Kelowna. Okay, so first question for you here, Corey. Favorite vacation spot? And I know you're you're headed out next week, but I don't know if you want to disclose. Yeah, so yeah, no, I'll tell you where I'm going. So I'm I, well after this, I'm going to one of my favorite spots in BC. I'm en route to to Kelowna, right. to our office. That's a work vacation. That's a work vacation, technically. Kelowna and Kamloops this week, and then next week I'll be in Disneyland, which I haven't been to since I was seven. So that's right. gonna be, it's going to be interesting. Uh, my favorite vacation spot, I would say Kaanapali in Maui. Very good. Death row, last meal. Ooh. And I know you're, I know enough about you to, to know you're a big fan of Earl's. Yeah, I know. I definitely like it. Now, are you suggesting because my stomach hangs over my belt that I know a lot about food? <laughs> if my death row meal, I would have to probably go with a Domino's thin crust, double chicken, double ground beef pizza with cinnamon sticks covered in their icing dip. That sounds repulsive. It's amazing. Wow. It's amazing. And as an appetizer, I'd probably have my double fish filet that I swap out the tartar sauce for my chicken sauce. And I usually jam some fries in there. Is, is that pizza actually a pizza? It's actually a pizza. Yeah. You got you got the thin crust and you get you order double chicken, double ground beef, and then you get like the cheesy cheddar nacho stuff. Oh, it's just amazing. And the best part is I get the cheesy cheddar stuff, and I, I sort of like spray it on the pizza, like lather yeah, it on yeah, the pizza. Of course. Yeah. So it's an additional layer. Right. <laughs> so if I wonder why my, my pants don't fit. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think day. anybody's going to top that death row meal. It sounds <laughs> like you've thought about this quite a lot. I feel like I've been on death row several times before. <laughs> I Peloton all day just so I can eat on the weekend. All right. Uh, favorite band. We know your favorite band. Uh, but are but you're what are you listening to recently? Uh, Backstreet Boys would definitely be the favorite. <laughs> so I'd say as of late, I am into uh, Dallas Smith. 
Yeah. Dallas he, Smith. So Dallas Smith, he's a country guy yeah. from Langley. He used to be the lead singer of Default, oh. which is the old rock band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now he's a country guy. So as of late, I'm listening to a lot of Dallas Smith, I would think. And I would think I'm going to sandwich that, that I've kind of, this is going to get you to judge me again. I'm listening to a lot of Puff Daddy on repeat on the Peloton. Yeah, no, hey, yeah. I, uh, so it's a puff daddy. Have you seen his, this, I don't want to get to this question, but he's he's got a new Netflix. Uh, Netflix. I he, saw did it. you watch it? Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. Any good? Uh, it's kind of like the lead up to a concert and kind of like where all like the cool people were in high school, where they all are now. Interesting. Yeah. So, but it, you know, it's, it's you know, Mace gained a lot of weight in that show. Spoiler alert. I, I shouldn't be speaking about gaining <laughs> weight, but Mace looked a little bit more well, the heavier. So. <laughs> Let's let's talk about your favorite restaurant and let's open this up to the province because we know you are a connoisseur of of good food. <laughs> Again, the fat guy. Uh, <laughs> I'd say uh, favorite restaurant in Vancouver. It is and still is Cardero's. Cardero's yeah. down there definitely would be up there. Like the uh, Coal Harbor, the Coal Harbor one. Yeah, um, I did a we did a cool place in Kelowna last time called Salt and Brick. I've been there. Salt and Brick. Yeah, so we did Salt and Brick. Fantastic. Yeah, so it was like cool like appies and tapas. It was really, really good. So I feel like I went, that was where I, I had a meal and I thought, man, Kelowna's totally changed. It's completely, there's so many great restaurants down in Kelowna. So I'd say salt and brick. And then I'm going to throw one in for Victoria. I judge a lot of things by salad because that's what I eat for lunch all the time. Yeah. And I like Darcy's pub. It's, it's down there kind of on the waterfront somewhere. And they have an amazing kale chicken Caesar salad that I'm really into right now. So every time I'm over there, I will try to get to Darcy's pub for my kale chicken Caesar at like 1130 in the morning. All right. It's a day after golf, the Whistler retreat. You're stumbling around. You want to sing karaoke. What are you singing? Anything Nickelback. All right. Our listenership just got cut by a third. I'd pay to see it. Binge watching on Netflix. This is the final question. Oh, we might have a bonus question okay, for you. Final but but this is what are you binge watching on Netflix right now? Again, this is gonna people are gonna judge me. Suits. So my mornings are very consistent. I wake up at 3:30-ish. I have one coffee from my Nespresso machine that yeah. I'm just obsessed with. I go on the computer, I work, 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 go have a second Nespresso, uh-huh, go down to the basement, watch suits. And I literally watch it, and I'm not lying to you, from the very first show. I watch about half an episode a day in the mornings all the way up to the end of the ninth season and I start over. I'm on like my sixth or seventh like run of this now. So, okay, hold on a second. So, day in the life of, of Corey, right? You get up at 3.30 in the morning. 3.30 in the morning, the alarm goes off. Are you, what time are you going to bed? I'm usually lights out between eight and nine. So, I get the boys to bed. I'm usually out between eight and nine, even when it's light out. Alarm goes off at 3.30, zombie downstairs, have Nespresso, answer emails, work on spreadsheets that I can't see yet because the coffee hasn't kicked in, shop on Harry Rosen for useless stuff I don't need, <laughs> downstairs, watch Suits. But wait, do you, when you watch Suits, so this is, let's call it, what, 4.35 in the morning? It's about that time. Yeah, Peloton, I'm using the Peloton by five. So four. So four, often th- though, I, like, I would think, you know, a captain of industry like yourself, you get up very early because you you find that you're most productive yeah. at that time, which presumably you are. But don't you find that, what, where do suits fit in in this, this productive morning routine? Well, usually after the first Nespresso, between the first and the second Nespresso, I'm in the point of like, what am I going to wear today? So my oh. outfits are usually inspired by Harvey Specter. Oh, interesting. So, so you can tell what season I'm on. 
by what I'm wearing because of what color his ties are and his outfits. So it's usually that little kind of like pick me up, let's go. Yeah. Then we're on to the Peloton. Backstreet Boys, Puff Daddy, Dallas Smith, Nickelback, Dave Matthews. Yeah. Off the Peloton. Yeah. Dog goes out. I eat my Rice Krispies, have a shower, 6.30, on road, en route to somewhere, which office for the day, which... Do you find, and I've never watched Suits, and we might be delving too deep into this, but so not only inspirational for clothing choices, but do you find it's, is it like putting deals together? Uh, it's Harvey Specter. Yeah. He's the Batman. He's the Batman in the law industry in New York, right? You know, you're getting sued. He gets you out. You want yeah. to sue somebody? He gets you out. But it gets you kind of pumped for oh, yeah. for going to, yeah. for putting on the suit and going to work. It goes in there like he, you know, there's one episode I think I was watching this morning where he all of a sudden now he's a sports agent for some reason. And he goes in <laughs> and he threatens this guy that if he doesn't sign this player for this much more money than he was offering that Mark Cuban's going to say. Well, what does he do? He asks, send the contract over. And then Harvey walks out. Doors close behind him. Ray of sunshine heads. And, and, right? and you're ready for... And I, I, then I'm on the Peloton to break some pedals. Last but not least, if you could give one piece of advice right now to people interested in investing in commercial real estate, and it could be anything, but also sub-markets, like, what are you thinking right now? Again, to timestamp it, we just saw the Bank of Canada do a full percentage basis point increase this morning. There's a little bit of fear out there, a little bit of uncertainty on where we're headed. What's one piece of advice? I'm going to stick to my strategy, and I always try to buy properties that have strong cash flow on current income in emerging markets with upside on the rents. So that would be your Kamloops, your Nanaimo, Central Island area, your Victoria. Kelowna, I would say, would be there. Kelowna obviously got very, very tight there during the pandemic. Rates came down dramatically. You know, cap rates came down dramatically, but I think you're going to start to see those go back up. The challenge I think Kelowna is going to have moving forward is land acquisition costs are so expensive, developing costs are so expensive, and lease rates aren't maintaining pace. So I think unless you're building towers, like the Mission Group is, which is doing an amazing job in the downtown core, or Jeff Kenny that we had on from Troika recently, unless you're building good products like what those two companies are, if you're looking for pure commercial, I think you're going to have challenges on the development side. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of office space, let's say, coming into that market in the coming years, just the cost to build it and then what the lease rates can achieve. There's got to be strata type of components to a lot of these projects, I think, in order to make them work. On top of that, there's not a lot of strata product available in these markets. Mm -hmm. And I found that when we went into Victoria years ago we were looking to buy strata, strata office space for our office and we couldn't find any that's one reason why we're on a retail level because there wasn't strata office to really speak of so i think if you buy smart in these areas you have to understand what's coming online in the future years like nanaimo it's five maybe six type office buildings that's it there's no one's like going to build them there's not a plan for them to come in but you have increasing population which is going to lead to more potential tenants in a market that doesn't really have any new supply coming on and is very constrained to what's going in there. Nanaimo, for example, all your undersoil rights are owned by Her Majesty, so you can't really go below grade to build, so you're limited to your heights. So that's going to have dramatic effect on your office buildings. Mm -hmm. So just sort of understanding the metrics of the markets, but I think you got to buy in growing markets that have upside on the rents, but you're also getting paid good cash flow for today's income, not tomorrow's income. Fantastic. Well, maybe we'll leave it there. And uh, before we find out how people interested in commercial real estate can get in touch with William Wright Commercial, I just want to say 
I said nothing about your weight. I just want to be clear. You look very svelte. You've been doing the Peloton. It's very obvious. You didn't that, have to. Your eyes said no, the whole no. thing. Oh, yes. when, when I, I feel when, like anyone listening is potentially thinking. Uh, when I look to my know. left and there's three chins that all of a sudden start to look like Attila the Hutt and your eyes go down and I'm talking about McChickens, your eyes said it all. How can people find out what you're doing at William Wright Commercial? And if anybody is, which undoubtedly somebody out there is going, hey, maybe I should get in touch. Yeah, these guys sound like they know what they're doing. Uh, how can they get in touch with you at William Wright? They can reach us anytime at our Vancouver office at 604-428-5255. Let us know what you're looking for. We're glad to put you in touch with what we feel is the best broker for your particular needs anywhere in the province. Uh, they can visit our website, williamwright.ca, sign up for the latest and greatest news. Or they can send me an email, Corey at WilliamWright.ca. Anytime, always happy to talk real estate. Love to hear from the listeners. And uh, we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Perfect. And I should remind everyone, these do also live at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, where all things real estate related live. We will have a summary of the state of the market that we just did on Vancouver Real Estate Podcast by the time this comes out. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And we will be back next week before you head out to Disney World or Disneyland Before or whatever, wherever out, you're, I'm, I'm wherever literally you're going. hitting the podcast and then I'm like hitting the airport. So it's the last stop on the way to California with 33 million people in the middle of COVID and 40 degree heat. It just sounds amazing. We'll be back next week. Thanks, guys. Subscribe today.